Mary Byers, and this is Associations Today. My guest is Sarah Sladek, author of The End of Membership as We Know It, and also Knowing Why, as in Generation Why, and that's why I've asked her to be my guest today. Sarah, let's jump right in, work with associations, and see them having conversations about bringing new, younger members in. Where are the biggest mistakes or missed opportunities? Sure. So I think, you know, as with any age of member, it's most important to uh, offer something that members really need and value. And when we try to guess what members need and value, we see there's gaps or mistakes. And I see that many associations make the mistake of trying to guess what young professionals want rather than actually going to them and asking them, engaging them in dialogue, surveying them, inviting them to come in and have a seat at the table, um, you know, and, and just finding out what is it that you're really grappling with? What is it that you really value? How can we make our association more meaningful and engaging to you and your peers? So give us a, a couple of examples, if you would, of associations that have done this well. So one example is the Marine Retailers um, Association of the Americas. That is a boating association. And um, they were quite visionary back in 2009. They realized that their industry was aging, their membership was aging. And so um, they really shifted course to focus on what young professionals needed. And they have seen about a 200% increase in membership within a matter of a couple of years. Um, and it's continued to grow. But, you know, finding out what young professionals wanted and valued, um, you know, that introduced and infused all kinds of new energy into the association overall. So they didn't just see growth among young professionals. They saw growth within every age group. And the same is true for organizations like the Air Traffic Controllers of the America. Um, they, too, uh, really shifted a focus on young professionals. They were in tremendous decline, um, membership, but financially. And by really focusing on young people, uh, there again, they saw growth throughout. They're now very um, healthy and, and growing exponentially. And one other example is the Catawba County Chamber of Commerce, which is based in Hickory, North Carolina. And they, too, they saw not only aging membership, but aging issues within their community and within their workforce. And so they set out to do a huge community-wide campaign um, and engage young people in the dialogue and in the process and started up online communities and a magazine for them. Um, they appointed young people to boards of directors, and they've seen a real influx in membership, in young professional retention in their workforce, and their community is doing better overall. I think it's interesting that it doesn't have to be an either or. Either you've got uh, activities and programs and services that are of interest to older members or to younger members, but that when you go to build a more inclusive, stronger association for younger members, you do the same thing in many cases for older members or more, more seasoned members. One of the things I often hear, though, from leaders and 
often association leaders tend to be a little more seasoned. They don't want to be disenfranchised so that, that as they're bringing newer members in, they don't want the association to lose relevance for them either. So how can we or what message can we give to today's leaders that help reinforce the importance of, of just talking about the future of the association, not to disenfranchise them, but just to keep the association strong? Right, right. You know, it, it is interesting as we go back in history, um, you know, associations were kind of able to rest on their laurels for a little while because it was a um, natural social expectation that you would join your association. It was the right thing to do and um, continually renew and be loyal to that membership. But in recent years, we've seen such dramatic change. We've actually been living through an era where there's been more change in the past few years than at any other time in history. And of course, all that change um, influences generations. It influences how they're raised, what they need and want and value and expect and what their interests are. So... I struggle with this idea of disen being disenfranchised because um, because I feel that if you if you aren't creating a community, you you've lost sight of what a membership association is supposed to do. You know, you're supposed to be fighting for a common mission to benefit a community or an industry, and um, you can't do that from the perspective of being just a homogenous group, at least not anymore. You have to really think about, do we want this association to survive? Do we want it to grow? Do we want it to expand? And if the answer is yes, then you have to figure out what your succession plan is and you have to be inspired to want to leave a legacy. And um, and I think the best way to do that is to do it from that community perspective. It's not us versus them, but what are we going to create together um, that's beneficial towards the future? Governance sometimes gets in the way of building a more vibrant association because it often rewards longevity or those who've been involved, especially if there's a, a, a local, state, and national, you serve first at the local and then you go to the state and by the time you get to the national, you've had a lot of years of service and participation in the association. So what mm -hmm. kinds of things from a governance standpoint, while still respecting the bylaws and still respecting culture and tradition, what kinds of things can be done from that standpoint to change things up or at least loosen things up enough that we can bring members in sooner rather than asking them to be involved for 20 years before they can really contribute to the organization. Right. Well, I think, I think it's, <laughs> I'm going to say something that not everyone agrees with. I think it's time to break tradition. I think, um, I think some of the traditions that we've had are still relevant, but I think a lot of them are no longer relevant. We aren't seeing people move into um, positions um, and stay there for a long period of time in the workforce or even in a particular career track. And um, we've become more mobile, more flexible. So obviously the idea of being on a board of directors and working your way up for 20 years that's not relevant to today's workforce. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is amidst all of this change, and we've moved into a post-industrial era too, um, 
for the first time probably ever, every generation is something to learn and something to teach. And so again, it kind of goes back to that idea of community. We're not a hierarchical community anymore. Um, and while experience is very important, it is not the only thing that's important. I think it's good to combine rookies with experience. Um, and again, if you have everyone around the same age, everyone with the same background, uh, you get groupthink. You have that homogenous thinking. And before you know it, you're just not relevant anymore. You have to infuse new ideas, new skill sets now more than ever. And so with governance, I think it's important to just take a real look at um what your models are, ask yourself that tough question, um, is this relevant, is it going to work, or how can we um, perhaps expand or adapt something to allow for young people to have shorter terms, to allow for the participation of younger people so you don't have to wait 10, 15, 20 years, because uh, that's quickly going to make your association irrelevant in these changing times. So really part of a leader's job today is maybe to be asking, not maybe, is to be asking different questions than they've asked in the past and really to um, challenge themselves. And it's not only, as you said, experience and new ideas, but I think energy and enthusiasm go a long way toward helping change the culture of an organization and make sure that it's really got a, a solid future. Um, as we wrap up here, and, and really to that end of the whole idea of asking different questions, you've done something in building an online iPortal, and you offer a course about turning millennials into members. And I just love the fact that an association professional can log on, download the course, work at their own pace, but truly make it very, very relevant to their own organization because they plug in their own data, they work with their own information, and they build their own plan. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. So we created this uh, interactive um, course because, again, we found that many organizations are struggling with this idea of strategic planning or they do planning, but it gets put into a drawer somewhere and forgotten. Um, so we wanted to create something that was multimedia, really engaging, fun to learn with video snippets, professional actors, as well as myself and another thought leader, um, as well as a toolkit that, as you mentioned, information about their own association, their own challenges, and uh, as a result, develop a future-focused strategy with the uh, millennial member in mind. And... Um, you know, I think I think I think we're we're moving towards this era of needing to have that customized learning, needing to have um, an opportunity to think outside of the box, utilize technology in in our learning capabilities, and um, and like you said, do so at your own pace. So it's totally customized. But the movement to try to get more millennials engaged as members is more critical now than ever before. The stats say that 62% of associations are experiencing either flat or declining membership. And the number one reason they say that's occurring is because they can't get young professionals to join. So it goes back to what's our future? If we're not engaging younger people, there won't be an association. You know, it's easy to say that the sky is falling, but truly the sky is falling. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. every association needs to take a look at 
what their numbers look like. Professionals are coming in, but how many older, more seasoned individuals are likely to retire in the next five to 10 years? Mm -hmm. Because for some organization, those numbers are just downright scary. And we've got to be, we've got to be honest about what's happening. So I really appreciate you being here today, Sarah. Uh, Thank thank you. you.